0: Well, believe it or not, we are in the home stretch of the semester already. Um, next week is Arts Week, which is our final emphasis week. Um, so be excited about that. Um, and what, we only have four more weeks after that of classes, or maybe it's four weeks including that of classes. And then exams will be here, and I see the panic setting in already. Um, it's great. But you know what, also, warm weather's coming. It's supposed to warm up this weekend. Um, the time change happens this weekend, so remember that. The days get longer, which always feels great. Um, so there's, uh, there's good things coming, that's exciting. Um, our speaker, I have the privilege of introducing Mark Beach to us this morning. Um, Mark is a, definitely a friend of Heritage. He's a graduate of Heritage. His wife works here at Heritage, Teresa Beach, as the registrar. Um, so you may not know Mark personally, but many of you have probably met with his wife. And um, yeah, Mark has been in youth ministry for, what, maybe over 15 years now? Am I fair to say that? So seasoned in youth ministry, so definitely someone, that for those of you that are thinking youth ministry, would be a great person to pick his brain um, just about uh, what God has, how God has used him in youth ministry over the years. I've been looking forward to Mark coming and speaking here for over a year now, because last year around this time, he was going to come speak, and he wasn't able to last minute, which is fine. Um, so I've been looking forward to this for a year. So come and share what God's laid on your heart, and we're looking forward to hearing that for today. Thanks, Mark. Well, it is uh,
1: good to be back. One quick story. Uh, I think it's... I don't know what room number that is, but the room that's right out on the bottom floor there. Uh, One summer, we got a hold of some BB guns, and uh, we were running around shooting each other. I know that wasn't the smartest thing to do. Um, But I actually shot out the window at the uh, lower lower level there. Uh, They billed me $100 to repair it. Best $100 I've ever spent at Heritage. (laughs) And then they made a rule that we couldn't have uh, BB guns on campus, so uh, if, you, if you're looking to have a, a BB gun on campus and you can't, uh, that's my fault, so I do apologize for that. Um, well, like uh, DJ said, my name's Mark. I am from uh, Brantford. Our biggest claim to fame in Brantford, of course, is Wayne Gretzky. He's our, uh, he's our native Brantfordonian or Brantfordite or whatever you want to call it, uh, but in 1988, Uh, That's a long time ago. Uh, The same year that Wayne Gretzky was traded from Edmonton to L.A., a little-known musician by the name of Bobby McFarlane uh, wrote a little song that goes like this. So that song was the uh, first a cappella song to reach the Billboard Top 100, and one of the critics noted that it's a formula for facing life's trials. Don't worry, be happy. And they sure were fitting words that year for Euler fans, but they're also fitting words for us 30 years later, when many people in our world are worried about what comes next. They're also fitting words for you as students, as you near the end of another school year and you head off to summer jobs in the next few weeks. Some of you have those lined up, and some of you, like me, don't know what you're doing next. That was always the case every summer for me. It's also fitting for you—you who are graduating this April—as you face an unknown future after school. Don't worry. Be happy. And Jesus speaks some very similar words, and he said them long before Bobby McFarlane ever did. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says, Do not worry. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, you'll see that Jesus mentions the word worry six times. And he repeats that phrase, Do not worry, three times. And so I think it's safe to say that worry, or more importantly, ridding our lives of worry is something that Jesus wants us to take seriously. We all have worries. There's a story about a woman who for several years had been having trouble getting to sleep at night because she was worried that someone would break into the house. And one night her husband heard a noise in the house and so he went downstairs to investigate. And sure enough, when he got there, he found someone in his his kitchen. Someone had broken in. And so he said to this person, good evening, I'm pleased to see you come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been waiting 10 years to meet you. We all have worries. We often worry about those things that are close to home. Maybe it's school, a job, our health, bills, our doormates, our roommates, the person that we're dating, the person that we're married to, our coworkers, or even our friends, Other times, we worry about things that are are in the broader world, like high energy costs, a worsening economy, threats of terrorism, growing tensions between nations in the world, or even climate change. But so often, it's not just one thing, but it's a bunch of things that are all wrapped up together. Sure, we might be able to handle one or even two things, but when it's three or four of them mixed in together, our knees start to buckle and worry begins to set in. The truth is, is we all worry about something. David in Psalm chapter fifty-six, verse three says, "When I'm I'm afraid, I put my trust in you." Notice that he doesn't say that I never struggle with fear. He admits that he has fear. And in First Peter chapter one, verses, or verse, sorry, chapter five, verse seven, he says, "Cast all your anxiety on him." for he cares for you. It doesn't say that we'll never feel anxieties, but it does tell us how to fight them when they strike. The Bible doesn't assume that we won't have worries. Worrying is a normal part of being a human being, but the issue is, is how we deal with those worries. Now, I do want to point out two things before we move forward. First, don't worry doesn't mean don't plan. The King James Version translates the phrase do not worry as take no thought. This can be a little bit confusing because it gives us the impression that future planning is to be thrown out the window. Many people have mistakenly assumed that don't worry means that we just sit back and we let life come at us, that we shouldn't have things like career ambitions, that we shouldn't plan financially, that we shouldn't get life insurance. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I believe that Jesus is pro-planning. He wants us to work hard. He wants us to plan for our future because to do otherwise would simply be foolish. Second, don't worry doesn't mean don't be concerned. If you're not concerned about your upcoming paper for theology, you won't get it done. You won't hand it in on time and you're going to end up failing. If you're not concerned about your health, you're going to end up eating at A&W and KFC for every single meal, and your health will fade away quickly. You see, we need to have some degree of healthy concern. Otherwise, we won't meet deadlines. We won't go in for those medical checkups. We won't eat right. There's a difference between concern and worry. Concern is when we can do something to help a situation, and so you do what you can. Worrying, on the other hand, happens when you can't do something, but you don't want to leave it up to God. Worry is excessive concerns over the affairs of life. In other words, worry is concern out of control. And that concern out of control is a sin because it distracts us from the things that we're called to do, the mission that God has for each one of us. But more importantly, and it communicates to God, I just don't think I can trust you. You see, worry, it strikes a blow at the person and the very character of God. One commentator writes this, worry is inappropriate or wrong when it's misdirected, is in wrong proportion or indicates a lack of trust in God. But how can we tell when the legitimate concerns of life have have crossed that line and have become sinful worries? Well, there's three ways we can tell if we've crossed that line from healthy concern to sinful worry. First is when that thing that we're concerned about is the first thing that we think about in the morning, and it's the last thing we think about when we go to bed at night. The second thing is when we're no longer able to enjoy the things we usually enjoy. I'm a big reader. I love to read. Every day, I read. That's what I do. I love doing it. I know when my worry over what's going on in my life has, has crossed that line when my reading starts to go down, when I no longer find joy in reading. And the third and final thing is when we find ourselves bringing it up in every single conversation we have. We talk about it to our parents, our friends, our boyfriend or girlfriend. We talk about it to the cashier at Zares when we bring it up in every single conversation we have. In this world, there's a lot that we can worry about. And I don't know about you, but worry is a big struggle of mine. And especially in the last couple of years for some reason. It's been a rough couple of years for me. It's given a lot for me to worry about. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry. And then in the, in the next few verses, he gives us two things in particular that we shouldn't worry about. First, he says we shouldn't worry about our physical needs. In verse 25, he says this, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. And in verse 31, he says a very similar thing. He says, so do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Now, that sounds okay if your fridge is full, but it's a a little crazy if your cupboards are bare. But Jesus explains a little further in verse 26 where he says this. He says, look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See, Jesus points us to the birds. They're a good example when it comes to food and drink. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather little piles to save for later. They don't worry where their next meal is going to come from. They're simply looked after by God, the Father. Now, that's not to say that God just drops foods into their beak and they just sit there and take it. No, they have to work for it. They actually have to go out and collect it. They have to eat it themselves. But what they don't do is they don't worry about it. The birds live with the assumption that their creator will provide. Here, Jesus uses... The argument from the lesser to the greater when he asked the question, Are you not much more valuable than the birds? The answer to that question is obvious. Of course, we're more valuable to God than the birds. First, because he created us in his image. And second, because he redeemed us by the blood of his son. And so Jesus's point is this if God takes care of the birds, how much more will he take care of us, his children? Those made in his image. And so, why do we let worry over our physical needs distract us from what really is important in life? Jesus says we shouldn't worry about our physical needs. And second, he says we shouldn't worry about our material needs. Verses 28 to 30 says this And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Here Jesus moves to using the example of flowers. I lived in Kitchener for 16 years before I moved to Brantford last October. And one of the places in Kitchener that I love the most is Rockway Gardens. And if you haven't been to Rockway Gardens, it's like a small little botanical garden in the middle of the city. And starting in the spring, you can wander around Rockway Gardens and you can find some of the most beautiful flowers. And each one is absolutely stunning in its beauty. And Yet all those flowers, they're not unique to Rockway Gardens. In fact there's millions and millions of them all over the place. If there was only one of each flower they would be be valuable, but they're everywhere. It's almost as if God made too many of them, like snowflakes. You see the birds, they were an example of survival. God keeps them alive, he provides for them. The flowers, they're a good example for the opposite reason. They're temporary. They're here today, and then they're gone tomorrow. And yet God clothes every single one of these flowers with the most exquisite beauty. If he does that, how much more will he make sure that we, his children, are clothed? So why do we let worry over material needs distract us from what is really important in life? The flowers, they don't fuss about how they look. They live with the assumption that their creator has made them and clothed them in beauty. But why food and clothing? Why does Jesus specifically mention these two things as things that we're not to worry about? Well, the answer is that they represent the basic elements of life, the things that we need to get by in this world They represent more than just food and clothing. They also represent things like money, jobs, housing, transportation, and so on. All those physical and material needs in our life. The last half of verse 25, Jesus says this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? The obvious answer is yes. Sure, food is important. We all need to eat but it's not the most important thing. Clothing is important too. We need to wear something. Going naked is just not an option for us today. But again, clothing is not the most important thing. The whole point is that in God's economy, food and clothing are of minor importance. There's something more important that he wants us to spend our time and our energy on. And It really becomes a question of where our priorities lie. Are we more worried about our physical and material needs and the reason we're here on Earth to love God and to love others? This doesn't mean that we give up on food and we run around the streets naked, but our culture has seemed to place such a high importance on the things that we own and the things that we consume. According to Jesus, those are not to be our priorities. Because in the grand scheme of life, they're small. N.T. Wright, in his book Matthew for Everyone, writes this: Jesus doesn't mean we should prefer, as some teachers have suggested, to eat and drink as little as possible, and to wear the most ragged and disreputable clothes just to show that we despise such things. Far from it. Jesus liked to party as much as anyone. He liked to eat and drink. And when he died, soldiers so admired his tunic that they threw dice for it rather than tearing it up. But the point, again, was priorities. In verse 31 and 32, Jesus summarizes what he's just been teaching about God's provision for our physical and material needs. He says this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here for a second time, Jesus says, don't worry about food and clothing. He goes on to say that people without God, they naturally, they worry about these things. In fact, that's what their whole life is about. But as followers of Jesus, we're different. Because we have God as our heavenly Father and he knows that we need such things. And therefore, Jesus says, worrying is not needed. Not because we don't have needs, but because God, who made the universe, is our personal Father in heaven who knows what we need, who loves us dearly, and who is more than capable of taking good care of us. You see, as believers, we need to develop a deep faith in God's providence both in his ability and his willingness to provide for our needs. In verse 27, Jesus says this, can any one of you worry by worrying add a single hour to your life? See, worrying doesn't make anything better. It's actually a a waste of effort, and it doesn't extend our time here on earth. Worrying simply accomplishes nothing, Zero. And here Jesus wants us to understand that we are not in control. Our very lives are in the hands of God. He's the one who gives us life, and he is the one who takes it away. Nothing that we can do makes the slightest difference. We can't, by worrying, add a single hour to our lives. And so why do we let worry distract us from what's really important in life? But if we're not to worry about our needs, our physical and our material needs, then what's to be our priority? What then should that be? What are we to think about? What are we to replace our worry with? Well, Jesus, at the end of the passage, he gives us answers to these questions. gives us a little bit of advice on how to shed worry from our lives. First, Jesus says we must put God first. Look at the last half of verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What does seeking after his kingdom and his righteousness mean? Well, seeking his kingdom first means living by the values of God, also known as the kingdom values and not the values of man. What is the hallmark of God's kingdom? Well, Jesus told us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and to also love others as yourself. This is what we're to spend our time and energy and our thoughts on. And we learn more and more about his kingdom value and how it works in our lives by being immersed in scripture and communing with God every day, finding ourselves in God's kingdom and then daily reorientating ourselves to what it is like to live in this kingdom, Jesus says that is the first and most important step. And then we seek his righteousness. What does seeking his righteousness means? It means we work at being made right. Now, we're not going to get there. We're not going to be perfect. Jesus has already made us right. But we do our own work here on earth you see my life is full of flaws i make mistakes every single day and so often i don't live as if jesus would want me to live and it's not just my life this world is full of sin and injustice people are taken advantage of the poor don't have enough to eat there's war we can go on Seeking his righteousness means that we grow more and more like Jesus in the way that we live, and we do all that we can to redeem our little corner of this world. That's really the choice that's in front of us. We can live for food and drink and clothing, for our material needs, for our physical needs, or we can live for God according to his kingdom values and his righteousness. It's all about our priorities. A recently licensed pilot was flying his private plane on a cloudy day. He was not very experienced in instrumental landing. When the control tower was about to bring him in, he began to get panicky, began to worry. Then a stern voice over the radio came and said, you just obey the instructions and we'll take care of the obstructions. That's what God promises to do for us when we seek him first. In the last half of verse 33, Jesus said, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be given to you as well. And he write puts it this way, put the world first and you'll get it and you'll find it gets moth eaten in your hands. Put God first and you'll get the world thrown in. Jesus said, if we want to shed worry from our lives, we must seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. And second, he says, take it one day at a time. Verse 34, Jesus says this, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Max Licato once said this, meet today's problems with today's strength. Don't start tackling tomorrow's problems until tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow's strength yet. You simply have enough for today. The one thing that you can be sure of, says Jesus, is that today and tomorrow will both be full of trouble. But you can also be assured that God has equipped you for today and he will help you today. And each morning that you wake up, God already knows what you will face in the day and he's given you what you need to deal with whatever it is. In Lamentations chapter 3, we read this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The same will be true tomorrow. Each day he gives us what we need for that day. But it is a waste of our energy and our time to try and tackle what hasn't come. It would be better for us to rest in the knowledge that tomorrow we'll repeat the process. We'll wake up again and we'll see that God has provided all that we need again. And what is our priority? Day after day it's to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What I've learned is if you have any questions about the future, one of the best things you can do is look at the past and ask Did God sustain us then? Of course, He did. So don't worry, He'll sustain us in the future as well. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is His faithfulness. Bobby McFurin says Don't worry, be happy. But Jesus says, don't worry, seek after God above all else. And happiness will take care of itself. As you head on the final stretch of this semester, it's my hope that you will put your hope and trust in him who has sustained you in the past, who promised to equip you for each and every day, and who promises to provide for all your needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a good God, that you are a God that loves us and that provides for us, and I pray that you would help us to rest in that fact, that you are a provider, you are a sustainer. We pray that you would help us put worry aside and to focus on those things that you call us to each and every day.